Hey there, this is Pete Townsend from Norio Ventures, and welcome to Money Never Sleeps, a podcast that looks inside the head of entrepreneurs and at the crossover of startups, enterprise, finance, technology, and life as we know it. This episode of Money Never Sleeps is kindly sponsored by Ireland's fintech and financial services recruitment specialist, Top Tier Recruitment. Your colleague need help attracting and retaining great talent for your fintech or financial services company. It's highly advisable that you build a relationship with the team at Top Tier Recruitment. You can find them at toptierrecruitment.com and tell them we sent you. Before we get into things this week, just know that Owen Fitzgerald has been working hard on the Money Never Sleeps newsletter each week for the past month. We're digging deeper into some of the topics we cover on this show and connecting the dots between these topics and life as we know it. You can subscribe to our Money Never Sleeps newsletter at moneyneversleeps.substack.com. Also, we launched our new website this week as well, so check that out on moneyneversleeps.ie. For this week's episode, we welcome Elaine Dean from Starling Bank back to the show with a session recorded as part of a virtual meetup organized by FSCOM for the European Women's Payment Network last month. Elaine was originally on episode 23 when she was the founder of Pocketwire. We remastered that for episode 76, so it's one of our most popular episodes. Elaine opens up this chat, and you'll hear her first. So away we go with this week's episode of Money Never Sleeps. Money Never Sleeps, pal. Hi, yeah, thanks, Alison, and um, delighted to um, take part in your first ever virtual event. It's very exciting. Um, so hopefully we don't have too many hiccups. Um, I'm sure if we do, isn't that what it's all about? Um, so thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'm. Uh, I joined Starling back in August of last year as country manager for Ireland, um, and we are we have been working on the. Um, bank application, bank license application with Central Bank of Ireland. Um, so that's progressing and um, hopefully um, all things going well, we will be uh, looking to launch in Ireland um, probably in the early part of next year. Um, all things going well, but we have a lot of work to do. Um, and at the moment, I'm getting to work directly with the UK bank, um, which is very exciting and really getting kind of starling under my skin. So I'll tell you loads more about that as we chat um, over the next, the course of the next hour. Thank you, Elaine. We're really looking forward to that. We're also really pleased to have Pete join us as our interviewer today. And uh, Pete is a well-known fintech advisor and podcaster. But uh, Pete, would you introduce yourself in your own words and then take it over? Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to keep this short, right? Because we've only got a few minutes. But uh, so beyond hosting the Money Never Sleeps podcast, where we explore entrepreneurship, startup ecosystems, uh, and the weird and wonderful of finance and technology, I'm also a startup advisor and early stage tech investor. So basically, I help answer three questions. How do I get customers if I don't have a product? How do I build a product without cash flow from customers or investors? How do I get investors without a product or customers? And if any of that reminds you of Lloyd Dobler, Lane and I were talking about movies earlier. Um, we'll, we'll give you a link to the a YouTube link to the video later on. Uh, but Lloyd Dobler is played by John Cusack in the late 1980s movie, Say Anything. Um, you just got a virtual high five from me. So if you recognize that at all, um, my life is through pop culture and finance, but glad to be back in the hot seat with Elaine. Elaine and I um, met a couple of years ago and had her on what was episode 23, I look back, Elaine, of Money Never Sleeps. We replayed that on episode 76 or remastered it, like I like to say. Um, but 
you know, we're obviously on live for our audience today rather than having the comforts of the pre-recorded medium to then go edit afterwards, right? Yeah, so better not say anything too uh, <laughs> We better not fall out, Pete. I know. Oh, yeah. I like that'll happen. All right. So um, you want to just get right into it then, yeah? Yeah, let's go. Okay. Um, so like I said, we met back in 2018 uh, in your pre-Starling life, and you told your story on episode 23. Um, I feel like we clicked pretty quickly. Because back then we had the benefit of the that human interaction of when someone you click with or when you're clicking with somebody, your pupils dilate, right? Um, and you subconsciously notice that, and that just starts to build a bridge between two people. Hard to do over Zoom, um, but I was on a Zoom with someone the other day. I was getting really close up to his camera, and I'm like, dude, we clicked, you know, because I could see his pupils, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. We're already there. We're already there. Um, but that was when we did that, Elaine. That was my first one-to-one interview, right? As oh Owen, yeah, because Owen was his 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 uh, one of his kids was sick. Yeah, exactly. Owen Fitzgerald uh, for for everyone out there. He's Enterprise Ireland. But he's got five kids, five kids, five days a week. You're gonna have something each day that happens, right? So, um, you know, you're such an engaging conversationalist. Anyway, you made it very easy for me to run points. So thank you. But looking back, right? it was pretty serendipitous about what I'm going to call your awakening, right? Um, around the 2012, 2013, 2014 timeframe. And also my awakening, which kind of took place at the same time, but that's a story for another day. Um, it was your experience with the innovation lab at City, then on a currency fair, and then starting pocket wire all before Starling. And I likened this to someone going from Cadbury, then on to Butler's, and then to Godiva on the path to a chocolate addiction right? Uh, which is you're spending a lot more of your own money, but it tastes just so good. Um, so maybe just give us a bit of insight into the city currency fair pocket wire trilogy um, and why that was important for your leap into Starling. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that, the trilogy. Um, so city was, uh, I, I actually went back to city. I had done five years. My first five years of my career were in Citibank, And I went back to Citibank after having my second child, actually. Um, I was, was at the end of my maternity leave and I was kind of looking for a new opportunity. And the, Innova in the, in the innovation lab came my way. And um, I joined the innovation lab then in the really early stages of the innovation lab. And I got to work on a lot of really, really kind of great projects that you wouldn't traditionally get to work on in a in an incumbent bank or like in a big enterprise bank like Citibank so um we got to work on blockchain uh, I mean one of the first projects I actually went back to work on after my maternity my third maternity leave actually my third child was um uh, a blockchain project project um looking at doing a digital currency for Citibank or how Citibank could use um uh, distributed ledger technology for payments settlement. Um, so it was really, it was a brilliant time to be in city and, and getting to work on those opportunities. And, and the other thing we did a lot in the innovation lab was look at startups and the startup ecosystem and the startup mentality and where, how you can kind of replicate that in, in a large, um, company like Citibank, which is really, really hard to do, right? Cause a lot of, there's just much more to startups and being agile than, than, you know, just 
say, I'm going to put a scrum or a, an agile framework around how we do our projects. It's much yep. more than that. It goes to your cultures. It goes to your values. It goes to, um, you know, your mission and your purpose um, and breaking down a lot of the, the traditional things that exist in big organizations like politics and agendas and um, silos and keeping people away from each other. That's that that's how these places have kind of operated um for so long. Um, and part of that, like examining, um, you know, the kind of startup world, I came across Currency Fair through that. Um, and I really, really liked what they what they did. I liked what they stood for. Um, and an opportunity came up to to join Currency Fair and I jumped, decided I'd make take the leap of faith. And uh, I loved it. I really I loved working at Currency Fair. And so I had gone from kind of working on the fringes of the startup world um, in a very comfortable position from the, you know, well-funded, yeah. money's no object, whatever. You do have different cha different challenges to just kind of being lumped in and where it's a case of, right, we have to get something done. Just do it. Get on and do it. Um, and faced a number of challenges, you know, with in the, as directly as a result of being involved in a startup. So you you kind of, you know, the issues around trying to engage with big banks and how they kind of shut down and close their doors to 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 smaller fintechs and startups. Um, experienced that firsthand in Currency Fair, and I got to work really closely with the founders and I got to know them really well. And um, I just that's where I got the bug. I, I was bitten by the yeah. bug essentially yep. and um i knew that there was something there was something in me always that i wanted to do something for myself as well um and to give something a try and um towards the end of my time at currency fair the guys and myself you know we we we, we chat about lots of different ideas and the thing about you'll find with entrepreneurs as well is that not that they get bored but they they love starting things but they're not necessarily yeah. the ones to to yeah. scale things. They will start it, get something off the ground, and then they're on to the next thing. They're looking for the next opportunity. Um, and the lads that I was working with were, and I really got that that bug, as I said. Um, and so I we all kind of left around the same time and tried to start something. We were kind of figuring out what are we going to do? Are we going to go do Currency Fair 2.0 or are we going to do something else? Um, and I did some consult con contracts for a couple of um for about six or eight months and that's when kind of I was coming up with the whole concept of pocket wire in my head trying to solve my own problem as a parent who was trying to teach their kids about pocket money and stopping them losing money my mother was constantly throwing fivers and tenors my children's way and she, god knows you'd find it down the back of the sofa or you'd find it you wouldn't know where you'd find it so I wanted to 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 develop something that was going to address a lot of the pain points in my life. Um, so that's how I started with Pocketwire. Um, and um, I was with mo some of the guys that I had worked with in Currency Fair kind of joined me on that journey. So, but unfortunately, so my journey with Pocketwire was we got, we, we got, we raised some money um, got the product to a, a, a point where we were, you know, ready to be invested to, to get investment to take it to the market so all the things that you were talking about product to get customers yeah. and customers to get uh funding and you know it's that kind of like it's it, there's just it's it, a virtuous it has, circle it's a it virtuous could be a death spiral too yeah and uh very we we were almost on the on the verge of closing an investment round of nearly a million and then just 
things just fell apart. Yeah, and yeah, no, and I, your exact story was mine from three years ago, way too early for me to try to set up a venture fund and an investor that just fell apart at the last minute and boom. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of looking back on that now and really glad that that happened in hindsight because I don't know what I would have done with that fund because <laughs> I was nowhere in terms of preparedness that I needed to be to actually be launching a fund. But anyway. Um, yeah, no, I, like I, I, I'm the same. I mean, my experience with Pocketwire is is really, I suppose, that, and again, you talk about the trilogy, but yeah, everything has that have, I've built upon, you know, my experience with City and then my currency fair and pocket bar really is what opened the door um into starling for me and my experiences um and my learnings because you you know you have to take take stock of the lot you know the the time that i spent on trying to set up pocket wire and now that i'm sitting here particularly working with with somebody like ann bowden who is doing it and is being extremely successful at it going oh jesus now i know now if i knew what i knew if i knew then what i knew now but then i wouldn't be here so you know um i think i'm i'm in the right place it's it's the right place and the right time for me to be with starling yeah it i i like it and, it, and it's you know what, like you said, you mentioned the bug, and once you get that bug, it just it doesn't go. There's no cure for it, right? And that, um, but you find different ways to actually feed the bug, um, feed the monster a bit, right? And I, I really like what you uh, found your path into, which is great. Tell us about your role at Starling and how that's all going. Yeah, so I started with Starling last August. I'm country manager for Ireland, so my role will be, uh, you know, you know, growing the Irish um, the business when we actually launch. So we've been working closely um, with Central Bank, getting our bank uh, license application, um, and I'm also having the opportunity now to work with the UK bank. So when I started, it was very much focus on the license, and we were building relationships with the uh, with the team in the UK, but not working directly on any specific issues or projects or problems. Um, and since COVID, um, the UK bank has just gotten it's grown exponentially in the last um you know four months because people have just such a demand for digital banking needs and starling is doing things really well starling is doing things really quickly and responding to customer needs really really quickly so in the last couple of months they launched um the bounce back loan scheme they're doing the sybils loan the coronavirus business interruption loan scheme um we've released a number of different products so the bank is actually busier than ever everybody's we're 100 remote now our sites have gone from uh you know london southampton and cardiff uh, everyone working in those sites is working remotely and we managed to transition almost 900 people within within a week so now i'm actually working directly with the head of banking in the UK, uh, supporting uh, her on on all of the different initiatives that are going on at the moment. So the bounce back loans, coronavirus loans, um, and and new products then essentially that are kind of, we're in the pipeline or maybe kind of things that we wanted to do, but have just, you know, we've expedited them because of coronavirus. It's been an absolute baptism of fire. Um, I think I actually, I said to one of the guys that uh, I work with, because I've, we've gone from kind of writing policy and procedure and designing what the bank would look like to actually just being doing it. I've 
sat on on uh, tech, like answering customer queries at two o'clock in the morning. I've gone from, yeah. you know, and I feel now it's like I said to somebody, you know, the, the um, it was after the bombing of Buckingham Palace in World War II. I'm not I'm not liking myself to uh, the Queen Mother or anything like that. But she did <laughs> say her quote, and I think it's a really interesting one. She said that after Buckingham Palace was bombed, she felt like she could look the people in the East End of London in the face. You know, she knew what they were going through. And I'm like that now. So I've gone from like, oh, yeah, writing these lovely documents and, you know, without actually really feeling it and living it. And now to actually now I fully get it. I'm, I'm This is all really helpful to us when we actually do go live because I'm dealing with customers first, you know, on the front line and, and getting kind of real issues, uh, which are even kind of more compounded by the fact that we're going through this pandemic. I was just going to say that. Do you think you would have gotten that experience of doing all this now and working so closely alongside the UK business if we haven't been going through this whole world on fire moment, right? No, I don't think we would because our, you know, like, and I suppose in hindsight and like hindsight, uh, Harry hindsight is everyone's best friend, but like maybe, you know, when we started back in August, it would have been great to have that opportunity or to do it. But that's not the start. Starling way is just get on with it and do it, whatever needs to be done. Um, and so it's kind of given us the opportunity to pause and reflect. And and now that we've done it and we've been doing it for the last three months, it's been f- fantastic. Um, and it's also kind of deepened our our um more, yeah, and more fire in our belly to say, actually, you know, we really need to 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 plow ahead and 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 build this this digital bank um, and offers outside of the UK. You know, there's just such a demand and such a need, and and the pandemic and COVID and being in lockdown just has proven that you know beyond anything we would have thought of. Exactly, and, and I can't wait either. And you know this. Um, you know, I've gone on record a few times saying that yes, I am going to switch to Starling when you guys launch here in Ireland, both for personal and for business. I think you're um, number two on the wait list. Awesome, thank you so much. Yeah, but my mother's it, it, number one. <laughs> <laughs> it's glad to hear you got your priorities straight. I do. Um, good, but you know, just. You're, you've been so deep into it, you know, and like the, the, the trilogy as we talked about and that now moving into Starling um, and the role unfolding in a little bit of a different way that um, than what you probably anticipated, but in such a way that has actually been beneficial. And that sounds like you really enjoy um, taking a step back from all that for a minute and just looking at, at the payment space overall, given that, you know, this is a, a, a payments meetup and, and, and chat that we're doing here. I reconnected with my cousin in Hong Kong recently, this guy, Jason, very long story about him from another day, but there, there was a fruit bowl in my house that he has responsibility for. Um, but our life's work started overlapping a couple of years ago. Um, he's in Hong Kong running a media thing, uh, looking at business, enterprise, uh, tech, startups, so on and so forth. Um, and when he found out that I was involved in fintech, he said, oh, you know, the West is far, far behind the East in terms of fintech and in terms of payments. And I said, yeah, I kind of know. And he mentioned something about WeChat. Um, and for those that on the call that aren't familiar with WeChat, it's a it's a mobile lifestyle ecosystem, really, right? It's just a big, you know, um, it, it's an app. Um, but you, it started out with messaging, and then it's social media, and then it's e-commerce. Um, mobile payments sit behind that. There's Shopify type functionality involved for businesses. 
Um, and where the actual payment mechanism is your bank is just kind of something that sits in the background there, right? And so my big thing that I'm trying to get my head around, Elaine, is that if the future of payments in the West, um, you know, if we can look to see how WeChat are doing things there and imagine in the West, a combination of Facebook, Amazon, Betterment, Wealthfront type wealth, uh, and all these different types of tools all in one, um, where you know, really your your payment process is just an I-band that sits in the background. How does a, a, a bank that is so plugged into what their customers actually need and want and is intending to continually surprise and delight them with the user experience, how do you still own that customer experience, that user experience with a proliferation of apps where they just need your I-band, right? How do you actually bring that all together? Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's a it's an interesting time, right? And I, I, I think what we are seeing is that the you know the 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 likes of the Facebooks and WhatsApp and um you know where they just have such a huge network now of people, like it just makes sense, right? To 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 in, you know to do the WeChat model and and have and to be able to accept payments and you know move pay move money around seamlessly, um. And I, I do think, you know, that a lot of, you know, the incumbent banks will will struggle with that, right? And so while they're, I suppose if you think like banking, Starling is a bank, you know, but what does separate Starling from from the, I suppose, from the pack of the, the existing, the big, huge banks is the fact that we don't have those really, you know, the legacy technology, our culture is different, you know, it's a truly agile organization. Um so I do think that the banks, like, you know, the traditional banks will struggle because their approach to things will always, you know, and that don't get me wrong, there's so many smart people working in, you know, in, in all of these existing institutions, but they will always be slowed down and held back by the fact that their systems are, you know, there's just, they're, it's really, really complex. Um, actually, I did a, a thing um, just before lockdown and kind of the analogy that I use, I had a, a picture of it was the London Tube. Um, underground, like the the London underground, and the the rest of the world above the ground is modernising, and the, the the tube is trying to serve and to run on this really old network of tunnels, and you know, and they're upgrading, but it's it's hard to make that complete change, um, because it's just so far down and and so um and so complex, um, and 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 that's just how it is, and and. It's it's difficult for those to pick apart, you know, the different services, and so there is always going to be blockers and things that they can't do and they can't do quickly. Um, and cu culture has a big thing to do with that too. So don't get me wrong; it's not just about the technology. Um, so for say the likes of Starling, the opportunity that we have is that we can do things really, really fast, and to keep, um, I suppose, our customers engaged and delighted is by giving them features. And, and things, not that we think that they want, but what they actually want. So, um, like to give you an example, um, and people may have seen like Starling launched the connected card, um, you know, not long after lockdown. It's probably live about six weeks now. And I suppose what, and, and this is one of the great things about, about Starling and Anne, and, you know, it's very much driven off purpose and vision and our values and, and what our purpose is. And and then that purpose, she really empowers people around her to 
to to to live and to execute on that purpose. Um, and so, you know, we're in the middle of COVID. We are getting queries from customers. You know, I want to, I'm cocooning or I'm isolating. I need to, people to help me do my shopping. I don't want to give them my bank card. Can I, you know, and people will come and say, will I get in trouble if I give my bank card? Will you notice that it's not me using it? And instead of kind of going out and saying, okay, you can authorize somebody to use your bank card or yes, you know, we, we just developed a new product for it. And Anne says, you know, what can we do? Let's do this. And before, you know, within two weeks, we launched the connected card and it has gone on to help thousands and thousands of our customers it's a card that you get attached to your account and it has a limit of 200 pounds um and they can give us securely with peace of mind that can't be used to withdraw cash you can't get cash back you can't use it online it's for the purpose that it's for and it will have what its purpose is written on the back so things like that um and then with our marketplace as well and our marketplace is you know one of the more unique things about starling where we are bringing in all of those other services in on top of your on, on top of your bank account so your bank account now is is central to your life and all of the additional financial services around that um to help you with your day-to-day kind of financial life and that's one of the things you know that Anne is really passionate about is making your financial service work for you not you work for your financial service um, and not pushing the problem into the customer's hand but listening to the customer and actually solving their problem and putting the power back in their hands so hopefully when when we do launch um people will see that that starling is much more than just a you know a mobile app to access this particular bank every you know all of our banks here have mobile apps to access that bank but starling is much more than just the app it's the true end-to-end experience that you'll get from us yeah and and the marketplace thing is a big thing right and you know the power of networks and the power of you know the virality of of free referrals that you get from just being such a uh, a great experience right for the customer there's a lot there i, I you know we, i'm naturally biased of course towards starling um, just because of, of of knowing where you come from elaine and and your approach but also then ann bowden i've never met ann but i've read a lot of her stuff i know her background and you know what i really like is that you know when, when it comes to kind of a startup a founder having firsthand experience in the problem they're solving is incredibly valuable, right? Um, and if you look at some of the other challenger banks out there that may be approaching it from a tech perspective, well, they've kind of wheeled in some of the banking expertise behind that and said, well, we need to put in a customer service thing. We need to put in a reconciliation thing. We need to put in a, you know, an institutional service thing um, that are basically just doing the same thing that the big banks are doing, but just kind of attaching it on the front end of a nice glossy app, right? Whereas I think with with the Starling approach, um, you guys are clearly challenging the way in which banking is done, right? Yeah. And Chris Skinner wrote this morning, and you kind of highlighted that a bit. Chris Skinner's a, a blogger, a lot more than that. If you heard me saying that right now, he'd, uh, he'd shoot me. But um, you know, he's he's big writer on fintech, and he kind of said, you got to separate between the needs of the wants, Right. And, you know, what does your customer actually need and what do they want compared to what you're actually prepared to give them? So I don't want a mortgage. Right. I want a home to call my own. Right. Um, I don't want savings products. I want someone to protect my money and to perhaps help it grow. 
right? And it, it's just trying to trying to dig into that. It, any any kind of you know just for the last couple of minutes, any you know key lessons learned that have stood out over the last you know nearly year now um, in terms of that customer experience that you're happy to share with others. Yeah, that, yeah. I mean, the connector card is just a you know a simple example. I suppose what's good about you know that example it shows you how quickly we can do it. So we respond to our customers' needs really fast. And again, that's you know the the, the beauty of being in a an organization that you know where the technology really enables that. So the the technology is the enabler rather than just you know being the thing that is going to solve all problems because ultimately as you say it is about what the customer actually wants or needs um we do that in a number of ways in starling we can get that through data um and the data is really powerful you can see you can use that data so we can see right now that the way customers or consumers are using their cards to spend is a lot different than it was pre-covid right so people are now doing the the big weekly shop and the the value of spend has gone up the volume of the transactions has gone down but the actual value has gone up so you know when you pick when you pick that data apart and you can look at that then you can see well you know our customers have you know they have different needs now than they did pre-covid um and how can we enhance and and and, and enrich that experience for them um, so things like that, rather than us dictating what, you know, this is what Starling is going to give you, we're using the data to, to figure, to find out what our customers are doing. Um, and that's, that's one of the, the, the really interesting approaches that Starling takes. Um, and it's very data. And we always have, have sufficient data to back up whatever we're doing. Starling is is one of the only banks um, in the challenger space where you can ring up and you can actually speak to a person 24/7 and what you do get from that those interactions is you you really understand what your customers want so you know we're not shutting down shop at five o'clock in the afternoon and um, because customers financial lives the amount of people who actually interact with us between the hours of say midnight and 6 a.m is incredible uh, a lot of people like to do their banking and look yeah. after their financial needs at that, that time of night. So we have full support to do that. We're able to do it um, and we're doing it remotely as well. But, you know, things happen in a person's life. Um, you know, fraud happens. Um, you know, maybe they're up in the middle of the night thinking that they do want to to buy a new home or they do want to take it. We don't do mortgages. But, you know, so that's another example of, you know, our customers have needs and wants that that are going to you know that are 24 7 um you know we yeah. even had people opening bank accounts on christmas day who'd ever thought that anyone would open an account on christmas day but was it know. was it was it santa it wasn't no he was asleep. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right thanks for sharing all that money never sleeps pal That does it for this week, folks, and thanks to Elaine for opening up her mind one more time to help us figure out why she does what she does. Also, thanks to Alison Donnelly and Elaine Tig from FSCom for inviting me onto the EWPN virtual meetup, and to Tanya Austin for managing the media and recording so wonderfully. Links and show notes for this episode are on our brand new website at moneyneversleeps.ie, so check us out online. Also, you can subscribe to our Money Never Sleeps newsletter at moneyneversleeps.substack.com. Remember, if you or a colleague need help attracting and retaining great talent for your fintech or financial services company, it's highly advisable that you build a relationship with a team of top-tier recruitment as they really know their stuff. You can find them at toptierrecruitment.com. 
Don't forget Conan Brophy from Create Sound. He mixes and edits each episode for us and is an excellent media man to get in touch with when you're thinking about launching your own podcast. As for me, I help startups get their products to market, get customers, and finance their vision. You can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter at norioventures.com if you want to know more. You can follow Owen on Twitter at Owen Fitzgerald9. Finally, till next time, thanks for listening. See ya! Money never sleeps, pal.